You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The British government decides to ban Huawei. More on the malware associated with the Golden Tax software package. The Mole Rats appear to be behind some spyware misrepresenting itself as a secure chat app. The Porphyx botnet is back, distributing a new ransomware strain. The odd case of the Data Viper breach. Ben Yellen tracks a ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court on the release of electronic surveillance records. Our guest is Ann Johnson from Microsoft, discussing her note at RSA APJ, The Rise of Digital Empathy. And SAP has a patch out if you're a user. CISA advises you to take this one seriously. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 14th, 2020. As expected, the UK has now banned Huawei from participation in its 5G build-out. This policy reverses an earlier decision to permit the company some limited role in non-core sections of the coming British infrastructure. In many respects, the decision represents an attempt at internal compromise. British telecommunications companies had worried about the cost of replacing equipment. The Guardian reports that all Huawei 5G equipment must be out of British 5G networks by 2027, and that no new 5G gear may be purchased after the end of this year. The BBC reports that Tory backbenchers remain unsatisfied. They want quicker action, but the decision represents a sharp setback for Huawei. According to Sky News, Huawei's UK chair, Lord Brown, has resigned. Researchers at Trustwave's Spider Lab have an update to its report on Golden Tax, a spyware-infested tax software intended for use by companies doing business in China. Their first reports concentrated on Golden Spy, and now they're describing Golden Helper, an earlier malware dropper embedded in Golden Tax. The Golden Helper campaign ran from 2018 through January of this year. Its specific objectives remain unclear, but its behavior suggests that it was up to no good. Trustwave says its research is continuing, writing, We have not yet identified a sample of the final Golden Helper payload, taxver.exe. We do not know its purpose, capabilities, or IOCs. Quote, if you've got a sample, drop them a line. Bratislava-based security firm ESET says the Mulrats, also known as the Gaza Hackers, have resurfaced with Welcome Chat, an app that represents itself as offering secure messaging. 
It does indeed deliver messaging, but security, not so much. It's a spyware carrier by design. The app targets Arabic speakers in the Middle East. As ESET describes it, quote, Not only is Welcome Chat an espionage tool, on top of that, its operators left the data harvested from their victims freely available on the Internet, and the app was never available on the official Android app store. Welcome Chat requests that users grant an extensive list of permissions upon installation, access to SMS messages, accessing files, record audio, access contacts, and access device location. Chat apps do tend to request more permissions than most other classes of applications, and so even this list might pass a user's scrutiny without raising an alarm. But in this case, the permissions do more than facilitate chat. Designed to call back to its command and control server every five minutes, Welcome Chat has been observed exfiltrating sent and received SMS messages, call log history, contact list, user photos, recorded phone calls, the GPS location of the device, and device information. Many, if not most, spyware apps of this sort are trojanized versions of legitimate applications. But ESET thinks Welcome Chat is different, that it was designed from the outset as spyware. Usually, you can find the original clean version of an app that's been trojanized. ESET, however, has looked, and they can't find a clear version of Welcome Chat anywhere. Sure, sure, we know, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence, but... On the other hand, it's reasonable to think that an innocent version of Welcome Chat would have turned up by now. So, if you're interested in security advice, and who isn't, don't install Welcome Chat. ESET generalizes that advice. Don't install any Android app offered outside Google's Play Store. That's not an infallible marker of legitimacy and security, but it's far, far better than buying from the virtual equivalent of some guy's car trunk on the corner of Greenwood and North Avenue. Security firm Checkpoint warns that the Porphyx botnet is delivering Avadon ransomware. Porphyx had hitherto been best known as a distributor of sextortion emails, but it's now carrying more than implausible threat to email your friends discreditable screenshots of you during moments of private leisure. It had also been used to distribute Gandcrab ransomware, ZDNet notes. Its distribution of Avadon is accomplished with a phishing email that uses a wink emoji as its subject and carries a payload in an attached zip file. Apparently, it's working on someone, hard as that may be to imagine. Krebs on Security confirms that security startup Data Viper, which describes itself as a threat intelligence platform designed to provide organizations Investigators and law enforcement with access to the largest collection of private hacker channels, pastes, forums, and breach databases on the market has itself been breached, possibly. The founder of Data Viper, Vinny Troya, says that the data that's been posted for sale in the dark web didn't come from his firm, but rather from the original hackers who are simply interested in discrediting him. Mr. Troya does acknowledge that there was a compromise at Data Viper, but says it occurred when one of his developers accidentally left his credentials exposed. He blames the hacking group's Gnostic players and shiny hunters for the whole operation, and he describes their motive as personal revenge. One bit of alleged fallout from the Data Viper affair, ZDNet reports, is what appears to be a very large trove of personal data lost in the 2019 MGM Resorts breach. 
The tally of affected guests had earlier been put at 10.6 million. But if those who claim to have hacked DataViper are to be believed, that number is an order of magnitude too low. They're advertising data on more than 142 million MGM hotel guests, and they're asking just a shade over $2,900 for the whole shebang. Ann Johnson is Corporate Vice President, Business Development, Security, Compliance, and Identity at Microsoft. She's presenting a keynote at the upcoming RSA Asia-Pacific and Japan conference, with which the CyberWire is proud to be a media partner. Ann Johnson's keynote is titled, The Rise of Digital Empathy. Digital empathy is the ability for the user to make errors and not have their work impacted, is the way I would describe it the best. When you think about what we've gone through in the first six months of 2020 on a global scale, when we sent the largest you know, workforce home to work remotely, and we did it very quickly, we needed users to be productive. Um, and those users needed to have access to their tools. But we didn't want them to be stressed out about the security or the privacy or the compliance around the use of those tools. So when I talk about digital empathy in the context of cybersecurity, it's that ability to actually allow the user the the room to make mistakes, but the tools are good enough that the environment and the, the entity, whether it's a government entity or a corporate entity, will be protected even if the user does make an error because the user's just in a very stressful environment, right? And they're trying to work. Maybe they have their children at home. Maybe they're having to procure groceries in a different manner or they're caring for a sick family member. So it really does need to be empathetic to the end user experience when we're thinking about building cybersecurity tools. Can you give us some examples of of some practical ways to implement this sort of approach? Sure. The first thing I would say, and it's the thing I always say, is mandate multi-factor authentication for 100% of your users 100% of the time. This way, you remove the password in in its entirety, right? So you don't have to risk the user clicking on a phishing link and giving away their credentials innocently because they didn't realize the link was a phishing link. If you're requiring the use of multi-factor authentication, it makes the password near useless. Now, nothing is perfect, but that's one way to give a lot of empathy to the end user because you're saying, look, we're going to give you a tool that means if you make this common error, by the way, of clicking on a phishing link, it has much less impact to you and it has much less impact to the enterprise. It strikes me that, uh, as you kind of touched on earlier, the the cybersecurity industry itself, I would say, if you listed, I don't know, their, their top five attributes, I don't suspect empathy would make the list. Is this a, a bit of a culture change that needs to take place here? It is. And the cybersecurity industry has a lot of things. We, uh, It's a maturing, right? The industry needs to mature in a lot of ways, um, all the way from the language we use to describe things. I actually wrote a blog on that. I think it's been about a year and a half ago through how we think about the end user and the end user experience and how we develop tools that are that are easier to use, but also really transparent um, to the end user. So they're just experiencing their work. And all of that is is a part of what I say, the maturing process of the cybersecurity industry as a whole. That's Ann Johnson from Microsoft. The RSA Asia Pacific and Japan Conference kicks off this week.
It's Patch Tuesday, and Redmond will issue its customary round of fixes later today, but SAP is already out with a significant patch. The issue, CVE-2020-6287, arises in the LM configuration wizard of the NetWeaver application server. Researchers at Onapsis discovered the vulnerability, which is reckoned a serious one. There's no evidence of exploitation in the wild so far, but CISA strongly recommends applying the patch as soon as possible. At least 40,000 SAP customers are thought to be at risk. Onapsis calls the bug Recon, that is, Remotely Exploitable Code on NetWeaver. It opens affected SAP systems to an unauthenticated attacker who could gain full access to them. Onapsis writes, This includes the ability to modify financial records, steal personally identifiable information from employees, customers, and suppliers, corrupt data, delete or modify logs and traces, and other actions that put essential business operations, cybersecurity, and regulatory compliance at risk. Thus, Recon represents a serious threat to data integrity, security, and privacy. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hey, Ben, great to have you back. Good to be with you again, Dave. Uh, interesting article came by uh, having to do with uh, electronic surveillance records. And this is uh, a finding from the U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C. Uh, unpack it here for us, Ben. What's going on? So the article uh, says that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit 
ruled that a federal judge should unseal electronic surveillance records in closed investigations. So there are a lot of investigations where there's classified information on which surveillance tools were used. So whether it was pen registers, uh, whether it was something obtained through the Stored Communications Act. And people who are interested in these types of surveillance methods want to find out, uh, you know, after the investigation has been closed, what types of methods have been used. Um, there's a very enterprising reporter who works for BuzzFeed News. Uh, his name is Jason Leopold. You should follow him on Twitter uh, because he is the FOIA king. He is constantly submitting <laughs> freedom of information requests and uncovering fascinating information, including redacted parts of the Robert Mueller report. Um, so I'll give a shout out to him uh, first and foremost. Uh, the argument on the on behalf of the government was that producing this data would be too time consuming and burdensome. It would be too much effort, basically, too much of an administrative burden. Hmm. Uh, the decision handed down by Judge Merrick Garland, uh, yes, that Merrick Garland, um, <laughs> holds that a large administrative burden cannot be a valid excuse uh, against releasing this information. Now. He respects the administrative burden. This is going to take a lot of man hours to go through and figure out what exactly needs to be redacted and unredacted. Uh, it might take a lot of personnel. That's fine to the extent that it might delay the release of this information, but it is not in and of itself a justification uh, to de deny this Freedom of Information Act request. And the reason for that is that the public has a right to know um, after these cases have been closed what surveillance methods are being used on our fellow citizens. So uh, I think it was a, a pretty groundbreaking decision from the second highest court, in my opinion, the second highest court in terms of importance in the United States. Hmm. Uh, so a, a very interesting decision. Is this uh, likely the final word on this or could this go farther from here? It's possible it could go further. The decision on the three-judge panel was unanimous. Now, the government could petition to have the entire D.C. Circuit uh, hear the case. You know, I, I think it's possible, depending on how much they really want to hide information on their surveillance methods, that at least could push, could kick the can down the road a little bit. Um, hmm. I would expect the D.C. Circuit, because the three-judge panel was unanimous, to deny rehearing on Bonk, meaning that the whole... D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals would, would hear the case. And if that's true, the government would have to appeal to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, I don't know if the Supreme Court is really interested in weighing in on this. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a split among circuits. It's a very D.C.-specific issue, uh, accessing hmm. federal records. So it's not like many other courts would or, or should have the opportunity to weigh in. So if I had to predict it, I, I do think this is probably the final word on this particular question. I see. Yeah, uh, I, I have to uh, give a tip of the hat to uh, Merrick Garland. Uh, he managed to, uh, in his opinion here, include a reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, he's such a good writer. Uh, putting in that Indiana Jones reference is just uh, the tip of the iceberg for uh, Merrick Garland, who has had to settle for his current position, which is still <laughs> extremely powerful. Um, <laughs> but yes, major, major hat tip to him. And I'll mention the other two judges uh, who were part of this decision? Uh, one of them is, is uh, Larry Silverman. Aren't exactly, you know, your garden variety liberal judges. Uh, so mm. this is a pretty broad decision uh, ideologically. Hmm. All right. Well, interesting, uh, interesting development. I suppose uh, this is one of those that uh, has uh, long-lasting implications. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think 
Um, we'll see fewer government agencies try to use the excuse that there's a large administrative burden when they're seeking to deny FOIA requests. Now, there are other reasons they can invoke to deny FOIA requests. There are a lot of exceptions in the FOIA laws, but it's going to be harder to use this particular ex- uh, excuse after uh, this decision was handed down. Hmm. All right. Interesting stuff. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.